0: Welcome back to Educate, the alternative classroom experience brought to you by me, Katie Conn, from my London living room. Now, today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Justine Soans, who is a writer and stress management coach who helps people establish boundaries. And she educates her clients all about the practice of sustainable self-care. So if I'm being real, I am buzzing to be speaking with her today because I really want to try and demystify what self-care actually means because, my goodness, it is certainly a lot to unpack and I'm going to try and discover with Justine what healthy boundary setting actually looks like. So teaching a very important lesson all the way from Canada over the pond, welcome to the audio classroom, Justine Soames. much for having me yay I'm so so pleased that you have entered my life to give me this very important lesson because self-care is something I have a lot of thoughts about but also very little knowledge about
1: (laughs) that's exactly what got me started in this world too like this is something I need I don't think I'm very good at it
0: It's so true. It's so true. Obviously, I've done your intro, but for the benefit of educate listeners, could you please just tell me a little bit about yourself, Justine?
1: The pleasure would be all mine. So, I am a writer and a self care coach who's also the mom of two little kids and the partner to a wonderful weirdo named Joe. And uh, earlier in my lifetime, I was also a massage therapist, and I had an active practice for about eight years before switching fully into writing and the coaching space. So that's kind of where my self care journey began. Um, And it's really evolved since then. And so uh, in These these days when I'm not trying to keep my spawn alive and my sanity intact, um, <laughs> I really spend my day immersed in the world of words, feelings, and just taking things one day at a time.
0: Well, that sounds great because I certainly, these days, I'm taking life one day at a time, but I'm hoping you can paint more of an educational understanding about taking life day by day. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, 100%. I find that if I think too far beyond that, I just turn into like a puddle of anxiety and overwhelm so it's just this real protective thing of being like okay we're just putting on blinders because we can't do anything about next Thursday we can do something about today <laughs> well I agree live in the moment what is it carpe diem or whatever
0: carpe they say. diem
1: accepted delusion whatever it is I'm here for it
0: oh me too so I just kind of want to ask I think The main thing that I seem to think of when I think of self-care, I often think that people look to self-care because of potentially realizing that they could be quite stressed. So before we kind of kick off into the self-care world, I just want to actually ask you, what does it mean to be stressed? And then when does stress become something that we need or that person needs to be concerned about?
1: Yeah, so when I talk about stress, I often start by identifying kind of two pieces to the stress cycle. One is the stress itself, which is the way that your body responds to what's going on in the environment. And what's going on in your environment are the stressors, So your stress cycle is marked by kind of the interaction of these two things. Mm -hmm. So from an evolutionary perspective, stress is not a bad thing. It's actually very essential for keeping human beings safe and alive. Um, The only reason that we could escape from the threat of a saber-toothed tiger is because of the increase in muscle tension, in heart rate, in breathing, like all of the stress that helps to facilitate a response to help us stay alive. The thing is that what our body also depends on is that threat or stressor to go away So that we can shift gears from being in the stress response or the sympathetic nervous system into the relaxation response, the parasympathetic nervous system, which is where repair and healing take place. Because in our efforts to escape the tiger and our increased stress response, we may have scraped our leg on a rock. And now that we're safe, we have to do something about that so that it doesn't get infected and we die. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So where stress really becomes an issue is when we can't get a break from it. And when we can't tell the difference between a real threat and a perceived threat because the body responds as if it's a real threat, even if it's not. So a troll on Twitter will cause you to have the same stress response in your body as a saber toothed tiger chasing you unless you're able to give it context.
0: Right, okay. So context matters, context is key in this stressful world that we live in.
1: And resolution. Is key finding ways to create that resolution and context helps us to create resolution
0: right that is such a good way of putting it i've never ever heard anybody be so articulate about stress
1: so thank you i've i've never said those specific words in that order so (laughs) there you go
0: it's a first for everyone i love it so (laughs) we hear a lot about the stresses that go on in our worlds and Often in order to limit stressful situations and anticipate being in a stressful situation, we talk about, you know, setting boundaries for ourselves. So I'm gonna set a boundary and I'm not going to go and do that thing because that thing I already know is going to put me in a stressful situation. But often, you know, we hear about boundary setting, it's said in the same breath as discussing self-care. Mm -hmm. And I think it's all kind of combined to, I don't know, combat rising stress levels. So what do both of these terms mean? What is a boundary? And then what is self-care? And I guess the next question after that is how do they combine? And I'm just ready for you
1: to enlighten me, please. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I hope that I can get to enlightening you because this is a conversation that has so many like popcorn tangents that, because it's all connected. So Absolutely. I say that self-care and boundary setting go hand in hand because boundaries are about the limits that we put in place to protect our integrity. Um, And in my work, I often talk about them as the space that we create to process and make sense of what's going on. So again, that boundary setting can happen in advance of something of saying, I recognize this might cause me harm. I'm going to try to avoid it. And that boundary setting can also look like This thing that happened has caused me harm. Now, what do I need to do to repair from it? So that's where that self-care piece comes into place is that when we're able to name the thing that has happened and the need that has to be met as a result of that self-care is then what the action that we do to meet that need, right? So if we don't have the space to name what's at the core of our stress, the root among all of those external stressors, then we will be left forever chasing symptom management, right? Right. Okay. So however you can create the space using boundaries to allow you to make sense of what you're thinking, feeling, and processing will enable you to name the need and then take the action of self-care to meet that need.
0: Wow. I mean... That just sounds like an actual quantifiable recipe as to how to live an easier life. And I would very much like you to come and remodel mine, please.
1: (laughs) Yes. well, And and if that's the case, then we have to, if we're looking at it as a recipe, this isn't the kind of recipe where it's like chef's plate or HelloFresh delivers perfectly portioned things that you put into practice. It's kind of like you're in the woods and you're lost and you're scavenging along the way. And what are you going to cook with depending on what you encounter along your path? Okay. Yeah. It's part of where we've kind of been sold this idea of self-care as like a checklist, things you can do, you can systemize it, you can whatever, when really self-care is about the practice of constantly dealing with an ever-changing environment because the stressors are inevitable. It's not about feeling good. It's about dealing with the shit.
0: Right. Okay. And then dealing with the shit is where boundaries come in because that's basically controlling your feelings
1: it's really easy to get caught up in figuring out who else farted instead of stopping and saying I had it something last night that may have led to me making the stench (laughs) I was not
0: expecting that simile but I am obsessed (laughs) I wasn't expecting it either this is a really surprising (laughs) conversation Kate I am (laughs) loving it from farts to boundaries and self-care yes that all makes sense so the world is constantly evolving but you kind of got these frameworks in the sense of boundaries and how you practice self-care that kind of allow you to walk through life hopefully through the the ups and also the downs I know that you've said setting boundaries does not make you a bitch and when i read that i was obsessed i was like yes it does not make you a bitch um so i actually just want to know do you think that boundary setting can ever become unhealthy and just like what does it kind of look like in practice
1: yeah so i often talk about like feelings concepts behaviors values all that jazz existing on a spectrum um because it helps to give context when there's something to compare it to so When I define boundaries, one of the big things about them is that they're mutually beneficial. So they protect your own integrity without coming at the cost of the person on the other side. So healthy boundaries don't cause harm. Mm -hmm. They might cause discomfort, but that's not the same as harm, right? And that's something that I think that people really misunderstand. So discomfort is where growth happens. Mm -hmm. So if me setting a boundary causes you to face something that you're uncomfortable with, that's a nudge to growth and it doesn't make me a bitch. It means that I care.
0: Right. right, I get you, yeah. But
1: So again, let's let's walk through this a little bit though because where it becomes unhealthy is when you don't put up a boundary but you actually instigate a defense mechanism. So while both reactions are your body's attempt to protect you, a boundary will keep both parties safe and a defense mechanism will protect you at the cost of the person on the other side.
0: Okay, I understand. I guess what I want to ask then, so to put it into kind of a real life scenario, say if somebody absolutely loves going out all the time, they're one of your best friends and you on the flip side are somebody that just does not go out. You don't like it, but obviously your best friends, you get on. So if you were to set a boundary and go, well, I actually do not want to go out at all. What type of
1: boundary is that in context of that friendship? So for me, what that would look like is I like to say, let's paint done. So the friend who wants you to come out, wants you to come out because they're painting this idea of all of the fun that you're going to have together because you guys are friends for a reason and you have fun. So what you're approaching that with is the reality that if you go out, you're probably not going to be that fun because you don't like loud music. You don't want people bumping into you. You don't think that other people's sweat is fun. Right? So it's like saying, Hey, I love doing fun things with you. If we go out, I'm going to be a bitch and make you feel guilty and you're going to, and I'm going to make you like want to leave. And that's not fun for anybody. So let's just get ahead of this and say, I'm probably not the best person to go with you here. And I hope that you understand that. What I would love to be available for are these other things that we can do together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Of course. I've had a very similar situation um, with my husband in terms of like, before we had kids and actually socialized and stuff like that, where he would want me to go out because he felt guilty leaving me at home but again, I would do the exact same thing that I was just hypothetically answering is I would go and and be a bitch and want him to go home with me, right? Which ruins the night. So our practice became like, I am saying I would rather stay home. You'll have more fun without me. You can trust that I'm not sitting at home feeling like you abandoned me because I'm secure in the fact that I would rather be alone. And so once he could accept that, then by the time the next day came, I wasn't tired from being out late. I wasn't making him pay for the fact that we went out. He wasn't mad that I, like... And so it actually creates a much better outcome, the one that you really want in the end.
0: That's so interesting. So it's kind of like knowing what you're able to emotionally offer to a situation in advance of that, setting the parameters down and kind of, I don't know, coexisting with somebody else and making sure that they're, I guess, on board with that and can respect your boundary.
1: Yeah. It's recognizing where that healthy interdependence is in the Venn diagram of your, your relationship.
0: Yeah. Right. So it's like
1: codependence says, I need you to go with me to do this thing because I require it like your presence for it to be a good time. Interdependence says we have areas in our lives that work really well together. This isn't one of those best things. They're one of those great areas. So you go do that thing. I'm going to do my thing. And our relationship is stronger for it.
0: Well, goodness me. It's so interesting when you think that boundaries are sometimes seen as things to be kind of spooked by, you know, or they've got boundaries on that. But actually, I guess it's only going to create more fruitful relationships in the long term.
1: Yes, in the best case scenario. But what might also happen is that your friend might on the other side of that not hear the spirit that you shared it with. And she might turn around and say, Are you kidding? You always bail on me. You're the worst friend. Why do you always let me down? So that's a defense mechanism, right? Right. And so then that's where it depends on you being secure in what you know to be true to yourself so that you're able to say, I understand that you're hurt and you're lashing out. This doesn't change how I feel about our friendship. I would still love to go with you for a walk in the park.
0: That makes sense. So the key to unlocking that and keeping it harmonious is by going, right, I understand why.
1: Yeah, and seeing the pattern that's playing out. If you're entrenched in a dynamic where you're actually fueling those negative stories in each other, in spite of your best efforts, then the boundary might mean taking space from the relationship so that you can sort through it and come back to it from a healthy place again.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I guess that's when people talk about giving space to a situation or a relationship or a friendship and just like letting things cool down. I guess that can kind of feed into that.
1: Yes. And that only works if there's trust. I often think about it like the trust, the trust and love that a relationship has, like that's the container that you create for this kind of rumble with discomfort. I set the capacity to have that kind of deep engagement again, like with my husband, with my kids, with my best friends, with those inner circle people, as you get farther in the relational spectrum, I don't extend that amount of work to everybody. And that's a boundary. Yeah. But But I think I'm the same. Yeah. So it's recognizing, does this relationship actually have the container of trust that's required to say, I know that you know that I love you and I trust that in the long term, you're going to work through that discomfort and come out the other side to get unified in the love we share.
0: Oh, I love it. So I guess taking self-care then and... Talking about, I guess, in the context of the last year, that whole uh that whole pandemic thing um that we're still living through. God, that's a barrel of laughs, isn't it? Um yep. but I guess we've seen so much advertised about self-care. I mean, the amount of curated, mm-hmm. lovely, aesthetically pleasing Instagram squares and posts I've seen about self-care. I hate to say that it potentially could have stepped into buzzword territory. Now, I don't want to say it has. I do think that self-care has become slightly synonymous with consumerism. Mm-hmm. It's kind of been geared towards a female market. Um, mm-hmm. And hilariously, I so- sometimes think it's been packaged into sort of fragrance smelling, creams sold back to us in the form of pamper sessions, you know, mm-hmm. solo night in with a glass of wine. Um, so that's the kind of narrative that I think a lot of people have, of you know, the top line understanding of self-care. Do you mm-hmm. think that self-care in the eyes of the kind of general public, do you think that it's starting to lose or
1: has lost its authenticity? I think that there's been a real attempt to sabotage the authenticity and like the good of it um, in yeah. exactly the way that you identified where we've been really immersed in this world where self-care is an outside in process when it's actually an inside job. and so. Especially when you look at things like we spend a lot of time tuned into things like social media and digital consumption, because it's one of the only forms of consistent connection that's available to us right now. So the other people who are on there are marketers trying to connect with you. And the way that they're doing that is by trying to get you to feel something because people don't make decisions actually based on a logical process. They make it based on how they feel and then they justify it after the fact, right? So this is true, whether we see a beautiful night cream that promises a wrinkle-free face. What we've been taught is like, we can see this thing externally that creates the feeling. And if we do the thing, buy the cream, do the activity, then we're going to create that feeling internally when the reality is what we have to be willing to do is sit with what is happening internally, no matter how um, uncomfortable, so that we're able to make the changes externally that will meet the need. So yeah, so that's kind of the the juxtaposition that's at play. And so it's really hard because these marketing people have latched onto the language of vulnerability, of self-care, of authenticity, and they're aligning what they sell with that because they know it's what people want.
0: That makes so much sense. So I guess- For example, say if you're somebody that is overworked, and you are just knackered and really low on sleep, and basically you need to just like maybe have a day off, have an early night. So the practice of self care that's authentic, talking about kind of your analogy there, internally would be, you know, giving yourself permission to go to sleep, get an early night and, and rest. But then I guess the kind of the marketing aspect that's latched onto that kind of need for self-care and I guess selling self-care the marketing aspect would be well to have a lovely night's sleep you need to buy these lovely lavender essential oils and you need to get this silk lovely face mask that's going to allow you to have the most restful night's sleep so is that yes. kind of how it is it's like that that kind of consumerist side will latch onto that authentic idea of self-care and then sell yes. it to you saying you are not going to have as good a sleep if you don't have our face mask <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. They're creating that codependence where you need the thing to do the self-care.
0: Right. Okay. So it basically often people might think, well, self-care, I'm going to go and buy a load, of, uh, a load of clothes on this online website because I, I deserve it and I feel down. So is that like short-term inauthentic or unauthentic? I don't know what the word is. Self-care.
1: It is you accessing the most easily accessible way to get that hit of dopamine or tending that is going to help you keep trucking along. Because mm-hmm. again, like right now, we aren't living under like normal healthy circumstances. We're living in a world where we are constantly being depleted because of those external stressors. And what we have in front of us is something that seems really easy. So so yes, it comes at the cost of the long-term care but again it's really important i think for people to be able to step out of judgment for themselves for taking those actions because that just perpetuates the cycle versus looking at it from that place of saying look i am a human being who's having a really hard time right now and the path of least resistance is this action and as soon as you can notice that from a place of just noticing then you can be Mm -hmm. like okay now I know how is this going to make me feel actually? Mm-hmm. Right. Take that moment, paint done. And then you can kind of say, okay, now that I know that this is how I really feel, this is the thing I'm chasing. I know that's not going to get me there because I've gone down this path before. How can I do something differently?
0: That kind of brings me on to my next question, really. But I know you were talking about there's loads of stressors and obviously recognising you know what those are and, and meeting your own needs. With the pandemic, last episode, I spoke to a journalist who's brilliant. She's called Becca Caddy and she has been a tech journalist for the last 12 years. She's recently written a book and it's called Screen Time and one of her um, topics is labelled as stressed out, burned out, And always on. What do you think of that? Because in context of your field of research, it seems like the two worlds are sort of merging here.
1: Yeah, they are. Because again, the way that our society currently exists, has us heading towards empty, like if we're talking about that filling your cup metaphor, it's heading us towards empty towards burnt out by default Mm -hmm. because we are culturally rewarded for violating our boundaries. Okay. But that said, there is ways to, again, like engage with stress in a way that is positive and doesn't deplete you. There's a difference between going for a walk every day because it feels good to move your body versus going to the gym for three hours because you're trying to change your body. Being able to examine the ways that we're participating in life- as this like big general thing and recognizing, am I engaging that from in that, from a place of like a self-examined way that allows me to fill my cup so that I can continue to do the work of resistance to combat Mm -hmm. the shit because the world is a bit on fire, just a little bit bit. on fire. And that's why (laughs) self-care isn't just about us. It's about all of this other stuff. If we don't make that conscious choice to step back, then we are going to remain stressed out, burned out, always on and that's not only not sustainable, it's not survivable.
0: No, it's not at all. And I guess taking it from the kind of technical perspective, I mean, quite literally to do with tech from Becca's perspective, I mm-hmm. guess when you talk about always chasing things, it's like, you know, logging onto your phone to, to chase the, I mean, Becca talks about the dopamine hit of, you know, getting the likes and seeing things go up and, you know, chasing the next pull down of your timeline to see what's gonna pop up. Is it gonna be interesting? And it's like, mm-hmm. is, that an, is that destructive when you're scrolling? Is that, but is, mm-hmm. but at what point I guess is like, when you log onto your phone, when does that become self-care?
1: So one of the, one of the quotes that I heard early in my work and all of this that really changed my life was, um, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. Right. Okay. Can you talk to me more
0: about that? I'm very intrigued.
1: (laughs) So that's my, that's the lens that I use when I'm examining my social media boundaries, because again, if I'm showing up from a healthy resourced, place, then when I go on social media, what I am seeking is connection. My friends are on Instagram. I love watching stories and responding to stupid things. And I love sharing memes and all of that stuff does fill me up. If I'm in a depleted place where I'm worrying that like what I'm doing, isn't making a difference and like my life sucks and no one cares. And then I'm posting something so that I can get that, like that dopamine and I'm attaching my sense of worth with what's going on there. That's actually an addictive behavior. And again, one that's about filling my cup with validation and not connection.
0: Okay, so it's about kind of, I guess like setting a boundary that if you're logging onto your phone, not logging onto your phone. I don't I don't think people do that, but going onto their apps and yeah. seeking human connection is very different to kind of chasing likes.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so the to be able to distinguish between the difference of that, it, it means tuning into again your feelings when you pick up your phone. As you're scrolling through those posts, are You know, if I'm, again, in a bad place, then posts that are related to like social justice, they end up leaving me feeling helpless or hopeless or like full of despair, which is actually going to tip me into a spot where I'm not available to do any good. So if I see that trigger, the response, like the reaction isn't, that means I need to tune out of all of these conversations because that's not it. The -hmm. answer is I need to put away my phone and do something that fills my cup so that when I read that post, I'm not thinking I'm a bad person, I'm thinking, what can I do to make this better? So uh, it's the exact okay. same situation, but it's a different way of honoring the feeling that comes up on the other side of it.
0: Oh, that's such a lovely way of approaching it and putting a different perspective. I love it. Yeah, and
1: again, it's recognizing that if we don't do that, then we're more likely to respond from a place of defensiveness, what of actually causes harm. Got
0: you. I guess that's a, lo- a lovely sort of loop we've done there. So Justine, what has the pandemic taught you about over-functioning human beings?
1: Yeah, so... It has been really interesting to, um, I don't know, kind of witness that there's there's no limits that we as over-functioners will go to to make ourselves responsible for what's going on and like not only what we can do about it, but what we can get other people to do about it. Um, yeah. As in like, there's, there's no limit until we're the ones who said it. Um, we, we want to make things better. And our biggest work is learning that we can't, like at least until we deal with our own shit, Um, so that we're actually available to help. Um, The other thing that, and I don't know if I would say that the pandemic taught me about this as much as it like kind of amplified it or really gave proof to it, is um, watching the way that, and myself included, when we over function and like violate our boundaries for the sake of making that happen it becomes really easy to justify it because it's like we're doing this thing because of the potential good that it can cause out there and how easy it is to again bypass the personal responsibility that exists and to distract ourselves with what's going on in someone else's life because it's easier to see their blind spots than it is to see our own right okay so then if if we could take that analogy, and just
0: for the sake of me <laughs> and the audience, or audience, listeners, whatever, friends, family, loved ones, um, what what does that look like in
1: practice? Can you think of an example? In my very real world, hypothetical life, um, my husband works in a job that is outside of the house and mm-hmm. I work from home. Mm-hmm. So because of the way that the pandemic has influenced things like childcare. it ends up meaning that the bulk of like lost time of kids in daycare or whatever like work getting shoved, uh, moved around that ends up falling on my plate by right. default right because I'm at home mm-hmm. and so if I'm in a place of over functioning then I'll look at that and I'll be like I can do this all like what they're dealing with, like as in they, as in he, my husband, when he's out there, like it's his own stressful thing. Like, I don't need him to worry about what's going on here. And even though I end up absorbing more of the domestic load and that's not good for me, I will keep over-functioning and doing that for the sake of him being able to do the work outside of the home so that like his life is easier so that he's not coming home to a list of things to do because that's a shit feeling too. Right. So it's like, I'm trying to prioritize his comfort around all of the other things yeah, by yeah. taking on too much of the responsibility inside the home, which again, actually ends up breeding resentment because I'm not getting up early and doing the thing because I feel available for it. I'm like, I'm doing this because I love you and you aren't even noticing. Like, so it's not actually about doing all the things and making his life easier. It's about the fact that I feel really invisible in the pandemic. And I'm trying to do all these things so that I get the validation so that I don't feel invisible anymore, Mm -hmm. right? That is such an
0: interesting, unbelievably important analogy because I can imagine that so many people- just taken on these kind of i don't want to say unwilling sacrifices but it probably is that isn't it you know i mean that must be exhausting
1: (laughs) yeah yeah well and then yeah and you and you get the um again when i was saying earlier that you're culturally rewarded for violating your boundaries it's like moms have been put on a pedestal for catching all the balls that have been dropped and it's like we don't know how you do it and we're going we aren't doing it (laughs) we're dropping everything and then we're cleaning up the mess right but but again, we're really rewarded for doing that over-functioning, keeping the piece externally at the cost of the piece internally. And then what that actually ends up enabling, because this comes back to the, um, for me to just say, I'm not going to do this stuff anymore because it's taking a toll on me. That's a bit of a defense mechanism versus yeah. saying, this is the impact it's having. The need that I have is the support in these other ways. Yeah. Knowing that if I continue to over-function, I actually rob the person on the other side of their lesson, of their growth of what they're capable of doing. I'm enabling bad behavior by overfunctioning, and it's coming at the cost of me. What do you think that employers
0: can do in order to kind of prevent uh, stress levels of their employees to rise?
1: I think that the best thing that you can do is invest in um, helping your employees learn how to manage their stress, like invest in their wellness um, in more than just in theory. Um, and so that means also modeling the work yourself. And I think that like a lot of what people really need in terms of investment and in terms of modeling is they need slack and they need grace right now as they navigate heading into the second year of what has been a globally traumatizing event Mm. and we are not through it. And so to say out of your mouth, we care about you, your health, your well-being, and then to expect people to still perform 40 hours a week is inhumane
0: and I think as well I don't know if it's the same in Canada but in Britain
1: we all have this
0: saying of sort of having a stip up a lip and kind of Mm -hmm. keep calm and carry on type of I don't know wartime behavior that I think Mm -hmm. sometimes we internalize as kind of just ignoring and suppressing things. I can imagine that that's happened over the pandemic in terms of people internalizing and suppressing their stress levels. I think there's a tendency to overlook. I don't know if people necessarily have enough faith in the system because what do you do once you say I'm not okay? Like what's next? And I think it links back to that whole idea of, you know, it's okay to talk out loud. It's great to say that your mental health or your stress levels are not good at the moment, but actually, In practice, what does that look like? What are the amendments to your working day going to be in order to kind of set boundaries for yourself to ensure self-care happens? I don't Mm -hmm. know.
1: I know, and I don't know the answer to that either because there is often the conversation of like, when we paint done, it's like, what are the consequences of having these conversations in these spaces? And is it worth the potential risk on the other side? Because you may recognize that your workplace is contributing to your wellness in a toxic way, but that because your boss is part of the problem, again, going to them might exacerbate it. You might be shamed. You might be penalized. But recognizing that you can't withdraw from the workplace because you have to pay your bills Yeah. Right. Then it becomes like, okay, let's take that boundary one level closer and looking at like, what's toxic about the workplace. And I'm, I'm actually answering this, not from what employers can do. I guess I'm, I'm answering this from what employees can do right now. Yeah. Um, or like what workers can do, because it's again, how can you set that boundary that says the environment of the workplace is bringing up these feelings for me. And this is what I'm making these feelings mean. This is what they're linked to. So knowing that I can't necessarily control the behavior or stressors of my workplace, what can Mm. I do in my inner home environment to fill that cup, to answer those, those issues? And then part of the process is trusting that as you build that core self resilience, you will start to figure out some of those more impossible external factors. Often what happens in the workplace is a symptomatic thing. So it's that that duality of recognizing that it's not okay and needs to change, knowing your limits at creating mm-hmm. that change and meeting yourself there. And then again, the work for the employers or managers is really to examine, like, how are you creating that safe space for your employees? And if they're not showing up, telling you that they're not okay, it's not because they're okay. It's because you haven't created the space for them to say that.
0: It's very hard to have those honest conversations when, as you said, money is involved, uh, different levels and power structures are involved. And Mm -hmm. actually, I mean, (laughs) the sad thing is, I think if you are needing to set boundaries in terms of uh, managing your own stress, that is going to be at a cost to that company. No matter what you say, it's going to impact them in a financial Mm -hmm. manner, in a quantitative way. I I guess it really depends on the industry and and the, the structuring of that company, but can you really be authentically allowed to speak out on an emotional and authentic level that's true to you when it's actually gonna probably, <laughs> yeah, impacts like, that company.
1: Yeah, can you exist wholly and authentically in a capitalist structure that is dependent on exploitative processes without that coming at the cost of yourself? No, you can't. So again, that's where it's like, <sighs> yeah, mind-boggling. <laughs> it's. it's- It becomes so, but again, this is, this is part of where that boundaries piece comes in, where it's like, if I go too far down that rabbit hole, I become immobilized. So I let myself kind of go like, oh, this is a problem big and out here where my hands are a foot away from my head. But all that I can do is mentally and emotionally bring myself back down to the center, the self, what can I control and then trust that as more people are able to access that grounded humanity and morality, the Mm. connectedness that we're looking for, that we can start to work together to create that change. When you think about it too much, it is. So I think- Yes, (laughs) but we have to be able to create the space to be able to dip our toes in the water. Yeah, completely. So, So by starting with that inner sense of what am I available for? You can start to reach out, pull those things into your space, learn to handle it, and then stretch your capacity as it's available instead of trying to get everything within your reach and then make sense of it all we aren't Marie Kondoing your like life here
0: <laughs> what sparks joy? Honestly, what does spark joy in a in a commercial world? <laughs> well, so one, obviously we've spoken so much about kind of practical ways of setting boundaries and practically speaking about self-care and what that entails. But what is one piece of advice that you could pass on to a listener who might be struggling to manage their stress levels? Three I'm sure words. you have lots of advice.
1: Four, four words, you are not broken. Okay, that's lovely. Lovely. Can you talk a bit yeah. about that? Yeah, because so often, again, people are like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know why I'm not handling this. I don't know why I'm X, Y, Z, because you are a human who's having a very dehumanizing experience right now. Mm-hmm. And so it is not that you are broken because you're having these feelings that are scary or these thoughts that don't make sense. It's that you are surviving and you're doing your best to process so that you yeah. can keep living. And so- as soon as you have that feeling of I'm broken, then you've stepped into judgment of yourself and you've made yourself wrong for what's going on, which yeah. that's just going to send you down a shame spiral. So to to recognize if you're having that sense of there's something wrong with me because of the thing that I'm feeling, you are not broken. Your feelings are not a pathology. Yeah. They are just trying to get your attention and communicate with you. So instead of getting pissed off at yourself, can you just listen? Oh, I love that. I guess just accepting
0: that, authentic feeling and just looking and staring at it right down the barrel and taking it for what it is.
1: Yeah. And knowing that just because you listen to a feeling doesn't mean you should do what it has to say because they don't always have good ideas. They have good information, but they don't always have good ideas. And so if you're acting in a healthy way, your behavior in response to your feeling will not cause harm to somebody.
0: Very, very wise words. Well, honestly, Justine, I feel like I could speak to you for at least for the rest of my life (laughs) (laughs) I am absolutely loving this conversation um and I just want to say thank you so much for for setting the tone for just such an insightful and informative lesson I think I really did struggle to see the authenticity in self-care and actually understanding what boundaries are. And I just think that you've completely changed my perception of both of those things. So I just wanna say a massive thank you.
1: Oh, thank you to you for holding the space for this conversation. It's just, I'm grateful every time that I get to connect with someone and, and to talk about these topics. And it just, I think I learned as much as you did tonight.
0: <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. I mean, the time difference right now is outstanding. I think you're in you're starting your day and I'm finishing my day
1: yep yeah i like dropped my kids off at daycare walked my dogs and then i was like and now let's sit down well i'm talking to you from the future so i hope you
0: make authentic and lovely choices
1: (laughs) me too well
0: thank you so much and please come back on to educate thank you so much justine
1: yes thank you for having me
0: Well, I don't know about you, but I'm certainly thinking all about my own self-care and my own personal boundaries, and my goodness, I'm very thankful to Justine for coming on to reshape my thinking. Remember everyone, setting boundaries does not make you a bitch. Setting boundaries does not make you a bitch. (laughs) Say it louder for those at the back. Before you spend an unhealthy amount on wellness bits and bobs, try to remember that self-care can't really sadly be solved with a face mask. And I'm not sure that they have face masks yet, For the brain um so we're gonna have to perhaps take a bit more care of that first although seriously no shade to face masks i'm a big fan especially the sheet ones oof love it and the ones that peel off if you'd like to hear more from justine on her instagram and twitter please follow her at justine stones and i'll drop a link to her website in the show notes and as always if you enjoyed this week's episode of educate remember to do that whole subscribe and share malarkey And if you can, oh, go on, be a legend, please give me an A-star rating wherever you're listening to your podcast right now. It really does help more people find the show. And if you fancy popping into the Educate Audio classroom to teach a fabulous lesson, please drop me a DM on Instagram or Twitter at educate underscore podcast. And make sure to follow me there so you can keep up to date with all digital chatterings. Have a fab week and make sure you establish those healthy boundaries.